0: Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development Speaker Series podcast. This week, we are joined by Debbie Ong-Din, the co-founder at Proximity Design, a 17-year veteran social enterprise committed to boosting the incomes and well-beings of vulnerable farm families in Myanmar. I'm sitting down with Debbie after her appearance at the Harvard Kennedy School on February 25th. It's great to have you here, Debbie. So let's start off by giving a brief introduction to the organization. Can you just tell us what Proximity Designs does and why?
1: Thank you. It's great to be here and also great to have a chat with you. <laughs> well, Proximity Designs is basically a social business and our our mission is to create products and services for low-income farm families. There's market failure and state failure to provide basic products and services such as technologies and sound agronomy advice and practices and farm finance. And so, you know, farmers need that support and it's not available and these essential um, services. So what we do is try to seed the market and help build an ecosystem of suppliers and people um, showing that they are small farm families are a viable market, and they're willing, willing to pay, and they're savvy customers and entrepreneurial. Ultimately, it's to reduce rural poverty.
0: You've been running this organization for 17 years now, but I know many students are keen to understand how your journey in this space began. And I know you and the co-founder, Jen Taylor, founded the organization back in 2004, but before then, both of you were working across diverse roles and sectors. But can you share just more about your journey and how it led you to start a social enterprise in Myanmar?
1: Yeah, I think, well, Jim is also a Kennedy School alum. (laughs) We actually met in Mississippi when we were out of college. And we worked with a civil rights activist uh, who was very involved in community development work in very poor counties in Mississippi. And so that's when the... um, The person we were working with who was like a mentor, his name was John Perkins. He whole um, message was you have to be proximate to the needs and people that you're trying to help. And that was a very shaping experience. We were there for seven years, shaping experience to understand you don't do things from a distance. You know, poverty is very complex and you have to really understand and the needs and feel the needs of and aspirations of people and be close to them. If you want to be effective after that, you know, we went to Cambodia and worked there for four years post Khmer Rouge and helping to rebuild the country. And of course, that was a whole different scale than community organizing. Um, we were actually uh, one of the few foreigners there, handful of foreigners there. Um, it was heavily sanctioned after the Vietnamese came in. And basically, that's when we realized we, we needed we were you know, relating to ministers, because that's the tool, that's all the aid there was, and the support there was, and so we were, uh, we, one minute, I remember one morning, the, we're meeting with the vice minister of health, and he said, so what do you think we should do about providing health care to this province of a million people, and we both looked at each other and said, oh, you're asking us, (laughs) and that's when we realized, you know, we really needed uh, much more uh, tools and skills to deal at the macro level, understanding the macro economy, political economy, and and how to go about doing things at a large scale. So we we ended up at the Kennedy School, and um, you know, took a lot of de- uh, development economics courses and public finance and. And things to just help us think more uh, at a macro level. And then in Indonesia, we were there for seven years. And that's when we realized that, um, yeah, Indonesia is a huge country, but we realized that ultimately the private sector is a major engine for creating jobs and that aid is not going to be the main driver for economic development. And so Jim went and got his MBA and then uh, worked in the private sector in agribusiness for seven years. And then we realized, yeah, at that time, I was uh, asked to join a group of um, economists from Harvard a team to go to Myanmar. And at the time, it was the height of the military dictatorship. And, and then I said, of course, I'll go and started, um, you know, reconnecting and really with the country. And for the next seven, eight years, I was back and forth on various assignments for the UN and World Bank. And I got to really know, you know, the rural areas doing assessments. And that's when I we realized, yeah, this is a country that is severely isolated. It doesn't need to be this way in terms of people, you know, farming with such basic technologies. And and we thought yeah, there's a huge opportunity to do something and make an impact, even despite all the constraints.
0: I'm so glad you're sharing this with us. This is very, very inspiring, the kind of journey that you took to eventually get to Myanmar. And you mentioned in the very beginning about this importance of proximity to people. And I know that is really embedded at the core of proximity design, and it shows up on the May. So I want to follow up on that aspect so you've talked briefly about proximity, but there's a lot of components about that design aspect in the organization. So could you tell us what that proximity and design mean to you and the organization?
1: Proximity, I think it means to us that it very much starts from a point of empathy and not sympathy. So the relationship we do have with our customers and people we're relating to is extremely important. When we started off, we said we didn't want to treat people as charity recipients or beneficiaries, because that's not very transparent, and it's also not very equal in terms of power dynamics. And so we felt like if we treated them as customers, you have respect and they have choice and dignity, and they're the ones who decide whether what you're providing is valuable to them or not. And we get, and we're held accountable because, you know, if they don't buy it, we get the signal right away in the market and it's much more transparent and empowering. And so I think, so starting and and also, you know, starting from a place of empathy. So you're the whole, at the time, the whole design movement in the U S and Europe also there was a momentum for designing for the other ninety percent, meaning that the design professional designers have, you know, been catering to the ten percent um, in terms of designing products and services for them. And the question is, why don't we use that same rigor, the same attention and creativity to design problems for p- everyday problems for people who are at the bottom of the pyramid? And so that was, we were sort of in the midst of that as well. And so we partnered with Stanford D School and professional design firms, and we established our own um, product design team. And, you know, the, the whole human-centered design process we found to be very helpful in, in relating to our customers and designing products and services from a place of deep understanding of the problems and um, the knowledge and as well as empathy and designing products that really, you know, that they're delighted with.
0: And, you know, it's very interesting to hear your journey of ultimately starting with the impact side of the story and emerging in like the business side to create this organization. And we know that it's really nice that a lot of the students here have become really interested in social entrepreneurship as a model for scaling that kind of impact. But we understand how hard it is to scale an organization, let alone you're pursuing a double bottom line of both revenue and impact here. And you managed to do this in one of the most isolated countries and for people at the bottom of the pyramid. And you scale and serve over 1.2 million households now. So can you share with the students on what enabled need to be able to grow and scale the organization
1: in tough places like Myanmar. What does it really take? Um, Like you said, I think if we have a Venn diagram, as a social business, we're sort of operating with design. That's definitely part of our DNA. And then the other aspect is business. So we run as a company. So you have to be pretty experienced at customer-facing business. And then the third thing is also this, you know, when you're operating in a dysfunctional macro environment, just to understand, be able to analyze and understand the macro environment is macroeconomic environment is important. So, those three sort of aspects are really how we run the operation. And I think of those three for us. You know, we had major experience in 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 all three aspects and and um, the design, the business, as well as the macro. So I think they sort of came together for um, for us and synthesized pretty well in Myanmar. And and I think for us, the, the most important thing was it was a long slog, but it's uh, important to invest in local leadership and have a strong team locally and yeah people we could work with and develop over the years and that has paid off i think and also to from the very beginning we decided it was really important to have a values based organization that was yeah and, and we you know there's 20 values you can pick from but we picked like five or eight to focus on and values that we felt were really missing in Myanmar society and needed to be, needed to be um, grown more and promoted. And so, you know, one of those things is trust and operating from a relationship of trust. There are very low levels of trust in Myanmar. And so we, that was one thing we um, really focused on and empathy and a different kind of relationship to people in rural areas.
0: There are a lot of uncertainties and challenges since the political crisis last year. If I can name a few, we know that there are safety and security concerns, banking challenges, electricity and internet outage. And in the midst of all these, you also have the COVID pandemic. And we know that, for example, the World Bank really expects poverty to have doubled in Myanmar because of all these things that have happened in the past two years. So can you tell us how your organization is surviving and navigating these difficult circumstances and more importantly, that you continue to serve the farmers and provide impact in the families in tough contexts and situations like this.
1: Yeah, it's been a very, very difficult past two years, especially the last year. I think if we had just one crisis, COVID, to deal with, that wouldn't have been so hard. But we have, a, as one um, investor told us, we have a multi-car pileup collision (laughs) that we're involved in and multiple crises. So the political one, of course, and the economic fallout from the political is another crisis where poverty levels have doubled. Um, Banking is so, so constrained. And then there's the environmental crisis also, which is not on people's radar in terms of climate change and just the degradation of soils and and environment happening, especially for a country that relies on agriculture and very vulnerable to it. So we are dealing with the multi-crisis at the same time. And yeah, it's been one of the hardest part things we've done in the last 17 years. I think one thing we've done is really stepped up our digital channels in the way we relate to farmers because of the remote work that was required. And there's constraints on travel. So farmers also are learning to you know They want to relate to us in different ways, and, and digital is one of them. So we have stepped up uh, telesales and also teleagronomy, much like in the States with the pandemic, telehealth took off. Teleagronomy is similar with farmers, the health of farmers' crops. You know, And we have the on-call service for pests and disease diagnosis and treatment that has really doubled in terms of the services de- demanded by farmers. And the other thing is fertilizers, for example, and inputs have really doubled in price and farmers are looking for less costly alternatives and also ones that are better for their soils. And it's been a huge opening for us, an opportunity for us to promote biologicals. And so whether it's biological fungicide, for example, or Trichoderma product, is very popular. Our de- demand has gone up, and we're very encouraged by, yeah, how much demand there is, and farmers are buying it, and their soils are much better. They have earthworms in their soils, <laughs> and they're seeing, when which uh, used to be killed off by all these chemical pesticides. So, you know, that's sort of a silver lining in that there's an opportunity for this, and biologicals are becoming more globally more, you know, something that everyone is, look, is interested in. So we do have that opportunity in the midst of this to, to pivot. And we have been doing that with new products and new channels.
0: And you mentioned in the previous question the importance of local leadership. And I'm curious how the local leadership has been supporting you and ultimately the organization in meeting all these shifts. And you know all the field staff were on the ground who have to deal with the pandemic, but also navigating and finding the best route to really meet farmers in places they need?
1: Yeah, well, we have a very strong team of senior leaders on the ground who, you know, basically take over operations and and they've been able to navigate and we are in touch with them every day. They navigate the um, all the various events happening, trying to keep staff stay safe and healthy And I think they've done a tremendous job. I think they've really stepped up. And um, for me, it's rewarding to see that, you know, all those years of us focusing on our values and trying to build that kind of leadership um, has paid off because, you know, a lot of our staff are saying, oh, now we understand how these values are so important for not only building our organization, but building the country. Yeah, this is something the whole country can benefit from, and, and they're seeing them that how they apply to that, and you know they're having their own voice and in, in ownership in, in um, wanting to build a country. Thank you, and I want to gear the last
0: question towards our students and what they want to learn from you. Many of us are interested in learning about career and opportunities in the social entrepreneurship space, especially the ones that are really centered around impact. So. Maybe like the first question I can ask is like, what do you look for when you hire? And especially as an alumni, do you have any advices on how students can really hone their skills and navigate their career during our time at the school and in the next few years?
1: Yeah, in terms of what we look for, of course, someone has to be um, impact-driven. I think because. I mean, it's very helpful. We look for people who can be effective and get things done. And especially across cultures and with all these constraints, people who can, yeah, navigate all of all of this. And people with business experience are really important because we are running a business and especially the kind of business that's experience that's important is customer facing. We have hundreds of thousands of customers. So just being able to yeah have that experience is very important and and being able to operate at a pretty large scale in terms of the career advice i most important is that you have to be intrinsically motivated <laughs> i mean i think there are a lot of people who are extrinsically motivated to go through and jump through hoops or or you know achieve certain goals but i think that can only get you so far you know this is Tough to do as a social business, and if it was easy, it would have been done, as as one of our donors said. So you really have to be intrinsically motivated to to have impact, and that kind of motivation will keep you going through the hard times. And in terms of career, I think the the combination of economic analysis, analytical background, as well as business, was super helpful for us and of course uh, again the design experience as you know being part of our dna has been super helpful
0: thank you so much for your time debbie it's been wonderful hearing your journey and as always it's truly inspiring you can find more information about debbie's work at proximity designs at www.proximitydesigns.org thank you again to debbie Ondin for taking the time to talk to us today You can learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's research events and upcoming events at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next week.